Now, we're in Jeremiah, and if you're familiar with the book of Jeremiah, you can probably guess where the message is going to come from this morning. Jeremiah 23, which is where we were last time. And in Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6, especially the second half of the sixth verse. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. And as Richard said in the announcement in Hebrew, the Lord is Jehovah, righteousness, it's Sid Kenu. Jehovah Sid Kenu. Now Jeremiah is a broken man with a broken message. And as we've been looking at the gospel in this book so far, a lot of it has been Jeremiah lamenting. He is feeling deeply the state of things. But as we're coming to chapter 23, we're beginning to hear more harmony. There are now songs coming. And we looked at one song, the song of God as the Good Shepherd, last time. And the song we're going to consider this morning is Jehovah Sid Kano. Robert Murray McShane wasn't the first to make a song out of Jehovah Sid Kano. We're all going to leave this place this morning knowing a bit of Hebrew, you see. And it's not just head knowledge, it's something in the hearts. Is Jehovah Sid Kano you a song? That's what a Christian is. Somebody who is able to say, The Lord is my righteousness. Is he? mine is he yours now the name the name that is significant in a name my name doesn't mean anything my name win i don't know what that means there's no significance to it right but in the bible someone's name described their characteristic so this is a name given to the coming messiah christmas is coming and jesus that has meaning he shall save. Christ, that has meaning. God's anointed, anointed with the spirits. Emmanuel, that has meaning. God with us. And Jehovah Sidkenu, not the most famous name of Jesus Christ. One of the most difficult names, but the sweetest name, I think. The sweetest name. Let's have a look at it then. Let's split it up into three. What's in this name? Firstly, righteousness. Sidkenu. God cannot just forgive our sins. God cannot just open the door to heaven and let anybody in. We live in a moral universe. There is this matter of righteousness. We all have this idea, don't we? That something is fair or something is not fair. 
but multiply that by infinity and you have God's righteousness. Moses, in his song, uh, celebrated God as righteous. Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. God is fair. Abraham, earlier on in the Old Testament, when God was about to uh, rain fire from heaven upon Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham said to the Lord, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? When we come to the book of Jeremiah, earlier on in Jeremiah, Jeremiah had prayed to God, Righteous art thou, O Lord. I want to tell you this morning, the God whom we worship is a righteous God. We are created by him. We are created in his image. And that image has been ruined by the fall, by our first parents. They were created 100% righteous, but they disobeyed God. And the image of God has been in ruins. So if you think of a ruined castle, uh, there's a ruined castle up on the hills above Lisvain. Morgraig Castle. It's very ruined. You can hardly see it. <laughs> but you can see in mankind, you can see the ruins of sin, but you can also see some semblance of God's image. So there is still some righteousness in the world, isn't there? There is still some goodness. But it's been tainted. It's been ruined. But the problem is this. Everything has been turned aside. Uh, we have uh, in God's image something inside of us. Do you know what you've got inside of you? I've got it. You've got it. You've got a little voice. And that little voice is called conscience. And that voice of conscience tells you if something is right or wrong. Now, let me use this illustration. Um, I still use old-fashioned compasses when I go up the mountains. I can't be done with these digital things. And there are mountains in Scotland on the Isle of Skye where a compass is no good because the rock is magnetic. On the coolings, the rock messes with the needle of the compass. So it's possible in mist to go up those mountains and to use your compass thinking that the needle is pointing in the right direction, but you end up going down the wrong side. And that's what happened to our little voice of conscience. Because of the magnetic force of sin in us, that needle is not pointing in the right direction. I find it very interesting that even in today's amoral society, where nobody believes anymore in right or wrong, that there are still things that are considered wrong. And those things are now more to do with the environment, aren't they? Now we must look after this planet. But people still have a sense of right and wrong, even if that voice of conscience has become misdirected. What we have in God's word is the truth. And this redirects our sense of right and wrong. 
Jeremiah was prophesying under the reign of Zedekiah in this chapter. I don't know if you've heard of Zedekiah. He was the last king of Judah. He was not righteousness. Uh, Jeremiah liked to do puns. He liked to play with words. Do you know what the word Zedekiah meant in Hebrew? We're going to learn a lot of Hebrew this morning. Never did much Hebrew in Bible college, mind. So I hope I'll get it right. Zedekiah means righteous of the Lord. That's what Zedekiah stood for. Righteousness of the Lord. But the problem is Zedekiah was anything but that. Zedekiah was a king who did wicked in the eyes of the Lord. Zedekiah was the last king. He was taken captive to Babylon and he had his sons killed before him and then his eyes taken out before he was murdered. Everything is twisted. Our consciences, what God has given to us to make us know the difference between right and wrong, it's gone astray. You cannot depend on it to be your guide. And earlier on in Jeremiah, uh, I preached on this many months ago, Jeremiah was looking for something. Do you know what he was looking for? One righteous man, one righteous man. Zedekiah wasn't it. Was there going to be a righteous man among the people? Zedekiah wasn't righteous. The priests and the prophets weren't righteous. What about the ordinary people? Jeremiah looked amongst them for anybody who would be righteous. And you know what? He couldn't find anything or anybody. And if you go centuries later to the New Testament, what was the scenario then? Was there a righteous man around? Well, we had in our reading the Apostle Paul writing many centuries later. And you know what Paul's conclusion was? He was quoting the Old Testament, but the conclusion was exactly the same. There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none. Absolutely none. And what about the 2,000 years of world history since the New Testament? Is there anybody that is righteous? Is there anybody here this morning that is righteous in and of themselves? Think of the best person that you have ever had the privilege of knowing. The, the most spiritual, the most godly person. Somebody came in with a book this morning written by Mary Jones in the shadow of the Aran. And I said, that's a good book. And they said to me, it's even better because it's her book. It's had her signature on it. Now, I think she was one of the godliest people that I ever had the privilege of knowing. But she wasn't righteous in and of herself. She would have been the first to say that. There is none, absolutely none, born of Adam that is righteous. We've broken God's commands, and not only that, we are unrighteous. We are unrighteous. What does that mean? It means even when we desire to do good, evil is still there. As Isaiah said, even our righteousnesses are filthy, soiled clothes in God's eyes. 
George Whitsfield, that great 18th century evangelist, said, self-righteousness is the last idol that is rooted out of our hearts. How right he is. This is what one Christian said, and he wasn't saying it of himself before he was a Christian. He was writing of his own experience as a believer. Charles Wesley, just and holy is thy name, O God. You are righteous. I am all unrighteousness. I am all unrighteousness. False, foul, and full of sin I am. Thou art full of truth and grace. Now, if we were being interviewed for a job, I know we wouldn't say to the interviewer, I am all unrighteousness, foul and full of sin I am. Otherwise, we wouldn't get any job, would we? But when we put ourselves not before one another, but when we put ourselves before God, before his purity, before his holiness, before his justice, then that's what we are. Has it dawned on you? You are not righteous. I am not righteous. We are completely naked spiritually before God. Like Adam and Eve, after they fell from God, they had their little voice of conscience telling them that they were guilty and all they could do was try and sow some fig leaves to cover their nakedness. My friends, our fig leaves of religion, our fig leaves of good works, our fig leaves of ideology, they're not going to cover our spiritual nakedness. So righteousness, righteousness. If we are to be forgiven, we need a righteousness from outside of us. If God is to accept us and open the way to heaven for us, we need to be made righteous. Can you see? Christianity is all about righteousness. And then the second point, this is Jehovah. Jehovah, the Lord, our righteousness. Here is the pun. Zedekiah, the king over Judah at the time, he was called righteousness is the Lord, but he was the opposite of that. And now, the Lord, our righteousness, is ascribed to a person. This is what is wonderful about this chapter. Jeremiah has been trying to find a righteous person, one righteous person. And people have been trying to find that ever since. And no one born of Adam fits that category. But here in chapter 23, after 22 chapters of woe, he finally finds his righteous person. And it's not King Zedekiah, it's another king who's yet to be born. Uh, the earlier verse says, I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. Does that ring any bells to some of you as Christmas is approaching? The Messiah, the one that God is promising who will come to deliver his people. My friends, there is only one righteous person who has ever lived in this world and whoever will live. He was born 2,000 years ago in a stable in Bethlehem. He is Jesus Christ. The Messiah? Do you want a verse that proves that Jesus is God? Jesus isn't just a man. Jesus was a perfect man. He wasn't of the lineage of Adam. He was of the lineage of Eve. But it wasn't someone of the lineage of Adam who had intercourse with Mary in order to conceive the seed of Jesus in her womb. It was the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus was of the lineage of David. 
but he was coming now not as the first Adam, but as the last Adam. And Jesus is God as well as man. And if you want proof of that, it's this verse. If a Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door tomorrow, tell them, the Lord our righteousness. Because the word Lord is in capital letters because it's God's name. It means Jehovah, Yahweh, I am that I am. God's revelation of himself to Moses. And what you've got here is this. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that Jeremiah was looking forward to. He could only see dimly. We can look back to and see with clarity. Jesus is Jehovah. And he is the righteous one. I found a righteous man. Have you? I found him like Jeremiah did. If you read Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones on Romans 3, I read it after I was converted and it blew my mind away. That long list of there is none righteous, no, not one, and finishing whatsoever things the law says, it says to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped. We're guilty before God. We're silenced before God. We cannot come up with any righteousness. But then the mood changes, and Lloyd-Jones draws this out. He says, but now, but now, that's the gospel, but now. This is what is happening in Jeremiah 23. After all the darkness, but now, there is light coming in. But now, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. Even though it's witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ even the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. We can't keep the law because we have sin inside of us. God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of God might be fulfilled in us. Praise God. Jesus Christ fulfilled the righteousness of God. We have nothing. Our fig leaves are useless. But Jesus Christ came. And from the moment of his birth to his death, when he cried out, it is finished, he was a tailor. He was a tailor. And he weaved not some fig leaves, but a robe of righteousness. Now, I'm getting to that age now when I'm enjoying wearing suits. And... You know, there is nothing like a man in a suit. But this suit is from John Lewis, right? But it's nothing compared to the robe of righteousness which Jesus Christ has given me. It's nothing compared to that. Let me, let me uh, read Mr. Spurgeon. He was through his life spinning the web making the royal garments. And in his death, he dipped that garment in his blood. <laughs> in his life, he was gathering together the precious gold. In his death, he hammered it out for us, a garment which is wrought of gold. You have so much to thank Christ for, living and dying. His 
active obedience, living the perfect life which none of us could never have lived, and his passive obedience on the cross, dying that death. I've got a green suit here this morning, but the robe of righteousness which Jesus Christ has woven for us is crimson, it's scarlet, because it's dyed in the blood that was shed on Calvary. This suit, because it's from John Lewis, is 100% wool. There is not one bit of man-made fiber in it. Jesus Christ's robe of righteousness is 100% Christ. There is not one fiber of your or my works in it. 100%. Have you got it? Have you got it? The most expensive made suit in the world. Some people pay thousands of pounds, don't they, for suits? Thousands of pounds. I was listening to a radio program the other day and I was flabbergasted to hear that people pay even more for trainers. There is this rap artist and he sold his trainers. They hadn't even been worn. They were just a fashion item and he sold them for a ridiculous amount. Listen, the robe of Jesus' righteousness was the most expensive item of clothing ever, ever, ever made because it required the blood, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Can you say, can I say, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are and glorious dress. Are you still relying on your fig leaves? Or have you got the righteousness of another? Have you got his righteousness? Finally, there's one word I haven't mentioned. Can you guess what it is? Our. Our. This wonderful righteousness of Christ, it can become our righteousness. This wonderful robe, this wonderful suit, it becomes yours. How does that happen? How does that happen? There's a legal term here. It is imputed to us. Oh, dear me, you say. What does imputed mean? What does imputation mean? Do you know what imputation means? It's a legal term, and it means that something is put to another's account. It means that you're charged with something. So if, for example, you uh, go over the speed limit and you get caught, uh, you are charged, aren't you? Uh, Your driver's license is um, given uh, points on it. That's in a sense, is you being imputed with breaking the law. Now, I want you to think of this, something being charged to another. That's what happened on the cross. Jesus Christ, the perfect, spotless Son of God, he was being charged, not with any sin that he'd committed, but with your sin and mine. Our sins are imputed to him. But then, and this is what we're thinking of this morning, his righteousness is imputed to us. There is wordplay here, isn't there? It's not just Zedekiah that Jeremiah is doing a pun on, but the Lord, the Lord was made sin. He didn't become a sinner. 
he was still perfect when he was hanging on the cross, but God legally considered him as if he was the worst of sinners. And then his perfect righteousness is imputed to us. Not that we suddenly become perfect, but God considers us as if we are perfect. It's called justification. It's called just as if I'd never sinned. That's one side. God, because he's forgiven everything. The debt has been paid. You can't do this legally. When uh, somebody uh, tries to get their points transferred to another's driver's license, it doesn't work, does it? Uh, I think somebody uh, went to jail for doing that. But when it comes to God's righteousness in Christ, that's what the gospel is all about. Jesus' righteousness is transferred to us. Our penalty points are transferred to Jesus on the cross. Wonderful exchange. Glorious exchange, as Calvin called it. Uh, Mr. Spurgeon again. Mr. Spurgeon. As the merits of his blood takes away our sin, so the merits of his obedience is imputed to us for righteousness. Listen to this. We are considered, as soon as we believe, as though the works of Christ were our works. Amazing. God looks upon us as though that perfect obedience had been performed by ourselves. He looks upon us as though Christ's life had been our life and accepts us as he accepts Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? The Lord, our righteousness. Now, this is the language of faith now. Have you taken this gift of righteousness upon your Self. Martin Luther, he struggled for months with this. He, he was really uh, aware of his sinfulness, of his danger, and he was reading Romans 1 uh, about the righteousness of God in the gospel. He was reading that about God's attributes of being righteous, and Martin Luther couldn't understand why is this good news? It can't be good news. It condemns me. And then gradually he saw it. This righteousness of God in Christ is not his attributes. It is gift, his free gift. And Luther believed. And you know what Luther said? That verse, which was once a terror to me, became the gate to paradise, the gate to heaven. Let me put it in simpler language. This is what it means. This is what it means. How do I make Jesus Christ my righteousness? Upon a life I have not lived, even if I had eternity, I could never be perfect. Upon a death I did not die, even eternity in hell wouldn't be long enough. Another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. Have you done that with Christ? Have you said, I'm going to trust completely in Christ, I've got no other hope my whole salvation is dependent on him. If he's failed, it's all over for me. If he has succeeded, then I am saved for eternity. Murray McShane, I think he beautifully 
describes this. When free grace awoke me, that's what happened to Luther. By light from on high, then legal fears shook me. I tremble to die. He realized he didn't have any righteousness of his own. It was all filthy before God. No refuge, no safety in self could I see. Then he saw Jehovah Sidkenu, my saviour, must be. And then what did he do? My terrors all vanished before the sweet name. My guilty fears banished. With boldness I came to drink at the fountain, life-giving and free. Jehovah Sidkenu now became all things to me. Where are we this morning? Are we still trying to weave our own righteousness? Give up, my friend. You'll never do it. Take away the rags. Take away all of your righteousnesses. Put them there in a pile like dirty washing. Take away your sin. Leave them in that same pile. And come naked to Jesus Christ for dress. Naked, helpless, look to him for grace. Foul to the fountain, fly. And say to him, wash me, saviour, or I die. That's the only answer. It's interesting, as I conclude, Jeremiah says, this is his name by which he will be called. This is a song. And have you called on the name of the Lord? Paul says in Romans 10, whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word call there means to believe, to cast yourself on Jesus Christ. And wonder of wonders, when you call, on the name of the Lord. He then forgives you, and he then becomes your righteousness. And you know what? You've got a song to sing then, haven't you? Jeremiah had a song to sing. Robert Murray McShane had a song to sing. It wasn't just his death song. It was his life song. It was his eternity song. Martin Luther had a song to sing. Uh, Apostle Paul had a song to sing. How many people here this morning have got a song to sing? You didn't sing it once because you were still trying to make yourself righteous. But there's been a but now in your experience. And God now has put a new song, not just on your lips, but it's in your heart, isn't it? And it doesn't matter uh, how uh, socially distanced we have to be. It doesn't matter if we still have to wear face masks. It doesn't matter if we can't sing as lustily as we once used to sing. We've got a song to sing. <laughs> and Alan Best and Mark Pierce and all those that we have lost in these 18 months, they are now singing that song of the Lamb in heaven. Are you going to be there? Are you going to be there? Is Jehovah Sidkenu? Uh, Je uh, Jeremiah once would have said with Robert Murray McShane Jehovah Sidkenu is nothing to me is nothing to me. is that you this morning Jehovah Sidkenu is nothing to you I feel sorry for you I feel sorry for you you've got no hope you've got no hope for eternity you've got no hope for this life or can you say Jehovah Sid I can't say it 
The Lord, my righteousness, is everything, is everything to me. And we're going to sing now, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. While the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is high, hide me, oh, my Saviour, hide till the storm of life be past, and then safe into the haven guide, oh, receive my soul at last. We're, we're going to sing. Uh, I know you're very keen. Uh, let us all stand and sing God's praises.
Father, whatever our state this morning, may we freely be enabled to take of Jesus Christ and of his perfect righteousness. We praise thee, O Lord, that there's plenteous grace in him, grace to cover all our sin, and that it will never run out. Hear us, we pray, and now may that grace and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forever. Amen.